up next on Inside the SECA, 44 days until Sebring Super Tour. Welcome to Inside the SECA. I'm Brian Bolanski. Joining me tonight is the SECA's Vice President of Road Racing, Eric Prill. Eric, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Always good to be on with you, Brian. Uh, you say that. <laughs> I mean it. I mean it. We've done this a few times now. We have. We have. We've done this a few times and uh, excited about this one because... Uh, we're all getting ready and ramped up, even though everything seems to be winding down. We're all getting ready to wind up for 2024, which uh, 2024 is what uh, the New Year's is 35 or 36 days away. And uh, I just did the math, 44 days until we all show up at Sebring for the first Super Tour. That seems like tomorrow. It does. <laughs> it really does. It feels like we just wrapped up 2023. I mean, we we're still wrapping 2023 up, but um, as we like to say, there really is no off season. No, there's no off season, and uh, we're all talking about how we can uh, go have fun and 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 make Super Tour as good as possible. Uh, how to enhance all of what we do for the drivers of the team so that they have as amazing as an experience as we possibly can, and uh, that can be a challenge when uh, you've got all people from different parts of the country and different tracks and different volunteers all coming together for kind of one common purpose. But we seem to get it done, don't we? <laughs> We do. We do. And we're about to head to a part of the country that's still holding 2023 races. Yeah. Um, down in down in Florida, Central Florida region, you know, still holding races just just this past weekend. So, um, yeah, just uh, no rest, no rest. But you're absolutely right. We uh, are constantly thinking and um, listening to uh, the members and the participants and finding ways that we can um make little fine tunes to this machine um, and make it run a little bit better and uh, a little bit more enjoyable for everybody. Yeah. So you and I got together and, and, and over the course of the year, we, we hear what people are asking questions about. We, we, we keep an eye on the social media to see what people are sometimes complaining about and, uh, um, and what people are happy about too. And uh, we're going to go through kind of a bullet list of things today uh, or tonight so that we can uh, kind of get people up to speed with some changes that are coming for next year. And, uh, and also what, uh, what we're all excited about a couple new tracks, uh, some new technology. So let's let's get right into it. Um, over the last couple of weeks, I've seen a lot of questions and chatter about the divisional championships um, and and how they're all awarded and which races can go towards them. And uh, a lot of folks uh, questioning um, whether or not they can use an out of conference race in to 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 go towards their conference championship points. What is the deal with that? So this is, um, I, I, I like to refer to this as the legacy, um, some of the challenges we have with legacy programs, the way things used to be. Um, we used to qualify for the runoffs and the big national uh, points championships used to be called division, actually called divisional points championships that national races went toward. And divisions, and we still have divisions. Divisions are collections of regions. So, Brian, you belong to a region. I belong to a region. Everybody belongs to a region. 
Some people belong to multiple regions, but everybody has one region of record. And that region of record exists within a division. Right. And that gives you a division of record. So back in the old program, back pre-2020, in the olden times. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, where you had divisional championships that, are, that that was the top championship that you were fighting for. You only had one championship you could fight for. It was it was within your division of record. So that's where you scored points. And you were allowed to count one or two out of division races toward that, which allowed you to cross over some boundaries, maybe go to a bucket list track or a track that you always enjoy racing at. Um, and you could count that. You would actually get some credit toward your season. When we shifted to conferences where where divisions are based on geographic boundaries you know the boundaries of those regions regions have a footprint they have very defined boundaries divisions have very defined boundaries you you belong to a single division went to conferences conferences are collections of events some events uh, a couple of events count toward multiple conferences uh, because of where, not just where they're geographically located, but what their draw traditionally is. Um, if you've got something that's kind of in between VIR, for example, draws almost equally from the Northeast and the Southeast right. before it became a dual dual conference event. That was that was just traditionally the crowd that goes to, to that event. Same thing with Hallett. Hallett draws very strong from the Southwest Division, Texas drivers. Right. A lot of them come up to Hallett. Um, so when you look at a conference, it's a collection of events because it's a collection of events and not based on geographic boundaries. Anybody can go to any conference and race in any of those events sure. and they score points there. Um, that's, that's the big differentiator between a division and a conference. So when you think about, um, there not being a home conference for a driver, um, if you were to count an out-of-conference event, where exactly would you place those out-of-conference points? So if um, the first the first majors weekend of the season is at Homestead, uh, it's a week before uh, the Hoosier Super Tour at Sebring. If you went down to Homestead and you won both races in, in a class, would you then have 50 points in every conference? Um, because there is no home conference. Technically, everybody belongs to every conference. You just don't appear on the point standings until you actually go and participate in one of those events. Um, so, so when you talk about adding or, or including out-of-conference races, um, it doesn't quite work when you don't have a home conference. Now, I will note, um, and, and I think that where people get confused is they think about the old system. And thinking about, well, I have to run in, I have to either declare a conference or my conference is based on where I live. You can actually win conference championships in multiple conferences. You can <clears throat> qualify toward the runoffs through multiple conferences. Um, and that's just based on the events that you race in. So if you race at Homestead and then, and you're from up in the Northern Conference, up in Ohio or Wisconsin, let's say, where you and I are both from, right? Um, you would have points in the Southeast Conference. And then when you went back home and you participated in races uh, up in the Northern Conference, you would also score points in the Northern Conference. But the events that you ran in Southeast, 
would count toward your weekends, your participation. So if you've got to have three weekends to qualify for the runoffs, you race down at Homestead, you race at Sebring. Well, you've got two weekends in right now and you've got some race finishes down there. So you could finish in the top half of points in the Southeast. You could finish in the top half of points in the North. Um, you could do it in both or one or the other. It, it all counts. Um, and it all counts toward not just runoffs qualification, but conference championships. So you could win conference championships in more than one conference, right? You can. And you've also got the Hoosier Super Tour has its own set of point standings that counts all of the events from that season as well. So, for example, um, I'll just take my personal experience in 2019. Um, and this was before we actually required points finishes a points position to qualify toward the runoffs. Mm -hmm. Uh, I ran at Hallett, which counted for the Southern Conference and the Mid-States Conference and the Hoosier Super Tour. I ran at VIR, which counted for the Southeast Conference and the Northeast Conference. I ran at Heartland Park, which was Mid-States Conference again. And then I ran the Chicago Region June Sprints, which counted toward the Northern Conference. So I participated in five different conferences, plus the Hoosier Super Tour. I didn't win all the races, so I... I even even though I wasn't scoring max points, I qualified in four different conferences that year, even with some of them only doing one weekend. Right. Um, so it's it's not um, it's not as big a challenge as it may appear um, when you're thinking about. Well, I live close to this race, let's say I live, let's say I still lived in Ohio and I'm gonna go to mid Ohio and I'm gonna go to Groton, but pit race is not far away. It's just over the border into Pennsylvania. It's not a huge penalty to go and run pit race. And right. I think that that, that is um, some view it as well. It doesn't count at all for what I'm trying to do. You actually, I, you're actually scoring points in the Northeast conference, your, your finishes and your weekend participation still counts toward runoffs participation. Yes, it doesn't count toward the points championship in the Northern Conference, but here's the final, um, and, and this I think is the biggest thing and the biggest challenge that people had with the old division championship. When you count something out of division, when we did that, when we used to do that, and let's say there was a way to count out of conference races, that conference points championship and the people trying to say qualify for the runoffs through that would would not know who finished where or what the or who qualified for the runoffs until the absolute last race in the entire country because anybody could go and run a race right. you could you right. know, the southeast conference finishes pretty early they could go to a driver from there could go to texas and if that counted sure um, a texas labor day event or an event in colorado on labor day um, so you could finish your season thinking, oh, I've won the championship. All the events are done in, in this conference. If you were counting something out of conference, somebody could appear at another event that wasn't anywhere near where you'd been racing all, all year and potentially knock you out of a championship, out of runoffs qualification. Um, and that's um, that's another element that was taken into consideration when right. when crafting the conference model. Yeah, and, and from a lot of the chatter I saw, in, in most classes, the points in conference is not the barrier to getting to the runoffs. Oftentimes, it's participation. 
So um, it, only in certain classes like Spec Racer Ford or Spec Matter where there's huge numbers where you really have to work to get into the top half of your, your points. Uh, but most of the other classes, that isn't a real huge problem for most people. Um, here's a pro tip. If you do Homestead and Sebring and the Atlanta Super Tour, you've got three Southeast Division conference races there. You could qualify in one class there, then go home to wherever you live, do all of your other conference races throughout the summer in a different class, and you get a lot of bang for your buck that way. So um, if anybody wants to make the trip south twice, no matter where you're from, and it'll still be nice weather in Atlanta in March, um, another way to get two different conference championships to get yourself to the runoffs in two different ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep, we have a lot of people that do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so any changes in, in, cause every year everybody waits to see the, the qualifications and how to get to the runoffs, which we, they've been tweaked over the years, a couple different times. Um, any changes that we're going to see from 23 to 24 on the path to get to the runoffs? I don't see anything coming. And I, and I, I have to preface it with, we have a board meeting this weekend. <laughs> okay. Um, and, but, but I don't, I have not heard any discussion about changing anything um with regard to majors path to divisional path anything like that so i think as as it was in 23 it will be in 24 the one change um that doesn't affect most people is um the the pro racing path to the runoffs um has been suspended um going into 2024 we only had um uh, I believe five drivers that that actually took advantage of that, um, and it. Uh, but it's also it also leads to confusion. Um, it's it's a it's a further wrinkle. I think anybody that looks at the flowchart um, as to how to qualify for the runoff says, "Wow, why does it have to be so complicated?" Mm -hmm. um, I wish we could further streamline it. Um, perhaps someday uh, it will be. Uh, but this this is is part of that, and there are some other factors that went into that as well. Sure. But that doesn't affect most of most of the drivers that are out there racing club racing all year. All right, let's let's get runoffs participation out of out of the way here. Um, last year there were less than ten cars at the runoffs in five different classes. Um, that causes some some logistical machinations for 2024 for these cars. Um, a lot of people were wondering why um, F6 was able to crown a national championship last year with under the 10 cars. And there's a whole probation thing and you're going to get to explain it to us. <laughs> okay. So actually, um, so as you mentioned, there are five classes that, um, that did not have 10 cars at the event. Um, one of those classes, which was GT1 didn't have 10 cars the previous year. So the way the rule works is if you come to the runoffs, and you have less than 10 cars, and you had 10, 10 or more cars the, the year before, you still crown a champion. Um, the people that, that came to the event um, were supportive of the class, supported the event. Um, we, the, the thought is don't penalize the people that, that came. Um, they still crown a champion. But once you have a, a year where you don't have 10 cars, the following year you are on probation, which basically means if you don't bring, if you don't have ten cars or more show up, that that following year, then there would be no champion crown. Um, You'd still get to year, race. We, you 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 would still get your race. Right. 
Um, and we ran into a situation this year where, um, you know, does there need does there need to be a further threshold for that? Mm -hmm. uh, the situation we ran into this year, we had a couple of classes that had very low entries going into the event. Um, Formula Atlantic, which I think had three entries, and and um, we talked about what do we do with that class? Do we do we blend it into another? Um, they qualify with somebody else. Do we do we have their race with with that class as well? Um, there was some pushback on that, and basically the drivers the, the drivers that were entered in Atlantic said, you know what, we don't want to mess with with um, right. Formula Continental's race, so we'll we'll just withdraw. Um, GT1, we had a similar situation, except it, it didn't happen until we got to the event. We lost some cars during the week leading up to the race. We ended up down to three cars um, that were that that were left. Um, there was some discussion about um, combining with another class. Same kind of deal. The drivers in in that class agreed. Look, we don't want to. Uh, negatively affect another class's race, particularly when particularly when uh, GT1 was not going to crown a champion because they didn't have 10 cars the year before. Right. Um, there were three other classes that did run all week that were under 10. Um, you mentioned F600. Uh, Formula F was another one, and GT3 was the third of those. So those classes are all on probation for 2024. We do through discussions within the communities, we do believe that all of those classes um, have real strong potential to to be over 10 or well over 10 uh, for 2024. Um, I will say though, uh, I really hope that happens. Um, it logistically, it's a it's a lot of event to put on, and and when we've got um, small fields like that, you know, it's it's a challenge. It's it's you know. Not only is it a national championship race, and if we're not crowning national champions, then you know, um, is it worth spending all the time and having people there to to do that and not crown a champion? Um, there's also, I mean, it is the showcase event for our club. Sure, um, we want to see good, good, strong fields, and um, we want to see those those classes grow. So, um, we would really like to see them over ten, um, and. Uh, yeah, there there are some mechanisms in place um, to not include them in future runoffs uh, if 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 they don't reach certain numbers both at the runoffs or during the season or combined. Um, so we're just um, you know again it, it it sounds like within the communities uh, we should see some rebound in 2024 and and um, you know that's what we we all look forward to. So if you're on probation going into the runoffs and you show up with your 10 plus, does that take you, does the clock reset then? You're no longer on it probation does. until the next time maybe there's less than 10? It resets. Um, there is a there is a clause in the rule book, um, the 4.0 rule, I think it's referred to as, which is a combined um, average of all the majors and the runoffs for the last two years okay. running. So. So for 2024, we would look at 2022 and 2023 numbers. And any class that falls below 4.0 does not get an automatic invitation to the runoffs. If you're over four, you're automatically coming to the runoffs, um, despite what, you know, if you fell below 10. Um, 
that that's basically to acknowledge that there are classes that um you know may be stronger in some some parts of the country than others sure. or there may be a little a little blip um in a season for some reason um but yeah if if, if you any of those classes that go above 10 um that probationary period would would reset right right I think that's uh, we've covered that uh, well enough there. We do have a new class next year. Uh, Spec MX-5 is joining as a national runoffs eligible class next year. Um, of course, that draws a lot of questions as far as Super Tours go. Uh, first of which is, where, where does this class run? Um, it, I've seen it a lot of places with Spec Miata. Well, in some Super Tours, we've got 70 Spec Miatas. So what's the what's the game plan for rolling SMX into this traveling circus that we do? Yeah, it's um, this is going to be, obviously, this is the, the initial year that it will be at all of the events. Um, we're going to need to see what kind of car counts we have in this class as it as it gets rolling it's already got a good base um which is what earned its way into into the super tours into the majors program uh, yes when you look at the number lists the permanent number lists the standard groupings for majors smx is in with spec miata there are obviously as you as you mentioned there are some events where spec miata can can sell out the entire run group um to the maximum car count allowed at the racetrack. Right. We know which events those are. So where it can't run with SMX, it would run at, or I'm sorry, where it can't run with Spec Miata, SMX would move to um, ideally where STL is, Super Touring Light. So at some events, that's STU and STL. At some events, it also includes some of the touring classes. Um, so it's going to, it's going to move around a little bit. Uh, people will notice that we really do try and keep as consistent a schedule as possible, particularly at the Hoosier Super Tours. You know, that's one of the goals is to have a consistent experience from event to event, even though we go from coast to coast and uh, border to border. Like anything new, I think there'll be, you know, maybe a little growing pains here or there and and we'll work on flexibility to make it fit best where it is and maybe i think where it starts at sebring might not be where it ends up by the time we get to road america right um it, it'll probably be <laughs> fairly well decided at this point um for the season um but going forward as we as we look from 24 to 25 um you know we'll obviously take what we've learned and and look at the data and, right. the, and the car counts and the entries but obviously the goal is to have as good a uh, experience for everybody that's participating um, which means balancing the run groups as best we can um, not just in car counts but in compatibility with each other as well right right uh, so we've got a couple new tracks on the schedule this year um, I was looking forward to making my first trip to Coda this year because I've never been there before and then I saw that that fell off the schedule, um, and then, um, but but then you replaced it with Nola, and that makes my wife very happy because she likes beignets, and uh, she's gonna she's gonna join us for that weekend, and um, uh, and she said something about hurricanes. We're gonna have to, and I think she was referring to the uh, the drink and not the weather. Um, yes, so A different time of the year. Exactly. Different time of the year. Exactly, and it's not during Mardi Gras, so that's good too. Um, 
T- tell us about Nola. Let's start with Nola. Well, Nola, uh, Nola was on the original, the inaugural Super Tour um, back in the day. Um, it, people will recall we had a Super Tour, I think 2011, 12, 13, maybe that that time frame. Then there was a hiatus before we uh, ramped it back up in 2017. Um, really well-liked racetrack. Um, I, I went down there and raced one year, um, had good uh, good feedback, good reviews, had some infrastructure challenges um, that the track has has worked through. Um, it's had some pro races uh, recently. Um, I know our our uh, F4 US and FR series have been there with right. with the speed tours. Um, so yeah, a lot of people look forward to that. Uh, obviously, it's a destination area with New Orleans. It is just after uh, Mardi Gras. So um, we don't have to worry about it being too crazy, but we'll still get some of the flavor of the activities uh, from early February. Sure, sure. Uh, and then the other uh, new track, at least on the Super Tour schedule, not that it's never been there before, but uh, new from last year, uh, Mid-Ohio, that track resurfaced. And uh, as I understand it, the same surfacing that was put on Road America a year or two ago is uh, what they used at Mid-Ohio, and I know that was probably part of the consideration to go back. Uh, tell us what we're going to see when we get to Mid-Ohio. Yeah, I think everybody was really excited to to hear the news. There were a lot of rumors about the resurfacing, and then um, when they were confirmed, um, that was very exciting for a lot of for a lot of people. So, Mid-Ohio, obviously, really long history of of significant events for SCCA. You know whether it's super tours or I, I think back to the to the Freedom Nationals and the Trans Am Nationals back when I was growing up there, and then obviously held a had a long stint of the runoffs there. Um, you know, for me, it's it's um, it's a little bit like going home, um, just just like you know going back to Road America is for you. But um, yeah, looking forward to that. Really excited about the the improvements that that they've put into the track surface and of you know, heard some other things that have been going on since since we were last at Mid Ohio. Yeah, uh, Mid Ohio is my my one of my first driver schools was at Mid Ohio. My first runoffs as a worker was at Mid Ohio. So, um, might this be a a test run for a future trip to the runoffs back to Mid Ohio? Um, I think that might be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Um, I Darn. think we're excited to be back there for 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 Hoosier Super Tour. Um, you know, but you never know. I mean, obviously what's, what's in the future is still in the future. And, um, you know, we're always taking a look and seeing what opportunities might be there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, let's talk about, um, Flagtronics for a bit. Um, we had it at the runoffs at, mm-hmm. uh, I know they're going to be, the system's going to be up and running at every super tour this year. But uh, I don't. I understand it's not going to be mandatory for Super Tour drivers this year. Without it being mandatory, some of the functionality is not really as useful as it could be. So, how are we going to use it in 2024? And is this the stepping stone to something manual or mandatory going into 25 and beyond? You know, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. And the really key thing is with this technology. Um, or any system like it, if it's not, if it's not in all of the vehicles, 
um, we don't realize the full benefits of it. Um, and and obviously, we're looking at this from from a you know safety alert standpoint, information to the drivers. You know, the in-car flagging being the most critical component. There's a lot of other added benefits. Um, when I think of our green to checker initiative, there are things that could be implemented that help uh, keep sessions going without bringing everybody into the pit lane and stopping things. We won't be able to do a lot of that um, while it is optional. Um, so there is a, you know, once again, uh, going into a board meeting this week, um, there is a proposal in front of the board uh, that that does recommend it be mandatory for the runoffs in 24, um, and then and then optional during the Super Tour season, um, and then potentially mandatory uh, outside of that, you know, through the supplemental regulations. Uh, we learned a lot at the runoffs. We had about 40% of the people utilizing it. Much of the comments and the challenges that we had um, were really based on the fact that everybody didn't have it in their car meant that we still had to continue to prioritize um, doing things the, the way we're all used to it, waving the flags. First and foremost, waving the flags, making calls to race control, um, which did end up resulting in some delays. People were like, I'm seeing a, I'm seeing a yellow flag, but my flagtronics isn't blinking yet. Um, it's all about timing and prioritization. And when you only have 40% of the cars, um, just on average, there were some run groups that only had a couple of cars with it. There were some that had far more than 40% uh, at the runoffs. But when you know that not everybody has it, you have to prioritize waving the flag. Um, ideally, they both happen at the exact same time. Um, flag is waved, buttons are pushed, but the reality is um, when when not everybody had the system, um, first and foremost, you got to wave that flag. got to wave the flag. You got to make your call in to race control. So um, that was some of the feedback we got. There's some packaging things that I know people are working through. I know that Flagtronics is working on um, continuing to look at uh, tight cockpits like formula cars, uh, prototypes, how do we um, how do we best package this in in those situations in those um, instances? Uh, so it was a learning experience. It was a good learning experience. Um, we came away with a list of things. We've been talking with Flagtronics about it. Um, we'll talk with the board this weekend, um, but it is a recommendation of the staff and the and the club racing board to to implement this for for the 2024 runoffs. Right. Um, where it goes beyond that, how quickly it's implemented, um, really comes down to not just our experience with it, but how many tracks start to put this system in. Um, you know, the goal here is to have the system at racetracks, not, not one that is portable that we're constantly taking around and setting up or that regions have to take around and set up. And we may have to do that for a period of time, but ideally um, this is something that, that becomes the infrastructure at the racetrack. Right. And um, not just for the SCCA, but for other organizations. We know there are other organizations that are already using it, that it's already mandatory at. So um, the rollout and the implementation of, you know, to answer your question of when will it be mandatory? 
I can't answer that right now. Right. Um, it's a it's a it's a process, and um, you know it would be a rollout. It, it it I liken it a little bit to when we first started using transponders, which was probably 20, 20 to twenty five years ago. It didn't happen. It wasn't a flip of a switch everywhere in the country. It it it, it slowly kind of got going. Um, we would probably look at it more from a standpoint of different types of events um, that that would have it. You know, obviously, if we're going to start with the runoffs, then I, I think it's probably not inconceivable to think that super tours might be the next phase right. before we get down, you know, down the road to every single regional that's around the country. You know, that that um, that's further down the road. Right. Yeah. While it's not ideal to have to carry it to track to track to track. A, a super tour situation where it's the same crew going to all 10 races with the same trailer makes it a little easier to do that. But each track having it makes it even easier. Um, and it's just, I think, personally, a matter of time before that's going to happen. Uh, if anybody wants more information and to learn a lot more about the whole Flagtronic system and how it's going to work, uh, I did a podcast with uh, James Ballinger and Todd Burris. Uh, James is the, the head honcho at Flagtronics. Todd Burris, uh, multiple national champion or at least one national champion who's used it extensively with the different series and is a huge proponent of it. I've seen it in action with my work with another series as well. And uh, it, it, it's, uh, it is the future of, of what pretty much every organization, in my opinion, is going to do down the road. So um, check out that podcast. I'll put the link to that in the show notes here. Uh, so it'll be real easy for everybody to find. So uh, you mentioned it. I wasn't going to, uh, hadn't planned on bringing it up um, until you mentioned it. Um, green to checker. Um, we've, we were all there for lots of different events last year and, uh, sometimes green to checker worked really well and other times not so much. Um, you track that data. Um, and when we first talked about green to checker, you only had like one or two races worth of data. Now we're a year and a half or so into it. My guess is that your data pool is bigger. What have you learned and what, what needs to be done to make it better? So what we have learned is that um, aggregating all that data takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, the data aggregation is a little bit behind for this okay. year. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the takeaways, you know, it, looking at it strictly from a data standpoint, that's what it started out as. Right. Was was let's let's mine the data, let's let's get ourselves a baseline so we can compare um, events to events, find out which events are, are, you know, doing better, some changes that we've made, what, what has helped. Um, I can tell you the one thing that we do know is that um, large fields of multiple classes um, seem to be our biggest challenge. And uh, so we made some we made some changes last year, and it's not just for people that are in those groups. It puts a strain on the event, um, and when there's strain on the event, there can be groups that end up indirectly affected. Right. Um, you know, if if uh, something gets behind, if if something has had to um, uh, be delayed for a long cleanup, that can affect things afterward. That can e even affect things. The, the following day as we've seen so um 
you know, those are those are still things that, you know, as we as we look at formats and things we can do as as organizers, um, we did uh, we did work on having a coach at some events um, this this year. We didn't quite nail that the way that I think we had hoped we would. Um, so we still may have a coach at some of the events. Um, we're going to look at some other things, um, ways to help run groups that uh, within their community have a pretty strong community and maybe work with those groups themselves um, to try and um, try and work with one another. Um, you know, it, it, it is a, it's a group effort as we've, as we've said, you know, kind of ad nauseum since we started it. Um, it's, it's not just, it's not just one thing that, that really affects it. Um, it's a number of things, but, but certainly the groupings, um, affect things. The number of total cars affect things. Um, we have, you know, we've started to this year, we, we publish penalties, um, Every single penalty, whether whether it results in um, a position change or not on race results, I think that that shows people that there are things happening in the in the quote judicial system uh, when things go wrong, as they will from time to time on the track. Um, I think that there was just, you know, there was some some belief that that there wasn't anything happening with things, and uh, obviously, there's always more that everybody can do. Um, I think we've made some good initial steps. I wish I had data that I could cite right now. I think we'll have um, we'll have all that data complete by the time um, the year is out, and we'll have the start line data from 22, and then you know that baseline data, and then see where it trended for 23. Yeah, I mean it. It didn't take a rocket science to and data to 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 get us to where what you just said. You know, big groups are the ones that tend to have the problems. And um, it also seemed as if some of it has to do with, with in my opinion, um, it's it's somewhat track-dependent as well. Um, you know, some tracks are, track rescue, tr- emergency service crews are more apt to go and try to do hot pulls and, and keep things going either under a local yellow or whatever than other tracks. And uh, that can also add to the mix as well. And I don't know how you would fit, fit that type of data into the discussion uh, of, of how to make things better. Um, but it, it does seem like, you know, the year before things were a little bit better. And then last year it seemed to maybe devolve a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is track dependent there. You know, I mean, just the way the track itself is laid out um, and you know, if a car, if a car goes off, does it hit something? If a car goes off, can it pull up? Can it, can it find a safe place to hide? Right. Or do you have to go and get it? Um, does the track have a lot of transitional switchbacks where people straight line it and bring dirt back onto the track, which can, which can cause things, you know, all of that factors into it. And it, you know, it's not even how the track does things. It, it, a lot of times it, it's just the nature of the of the circuit itself. Um, so, yeah, obviously there are some tracks that pose bigger challenges than others. Um, I think those are pretty well known um, from our baseline data, uh, and we have worked with those tracks to find better ways to keep things moving. Um, and uh, you know, so there so there certainly is some success there. Um, it's uh, 
you know, based on the learnings that we've had, right. not just in, not just in attitudes on the, on the driving side or the officiating side, but also, um, tracks looking at it, you know, their crews and how they handle things. Right. Right. And, and I think we'll find out w once we get a larger implementation of Flagtronics that th there are systems for, uh, helping with full course yellows and that type of situation, um, could be a big benefit to getting things back to green a lot faster. So, um, I'll be very interested to see how all of that works out in our sprint racing structure of how we do things. So, um, let's move on from that. And, um, I don't want to keep you here for, you know, three hours, but we could probably talk forever here. A um, couple of other uh, changes here. Um, uh, you're looking for another member to add to the team. So tell us about that. We are. Um, uh, we are looking for the next director of road racing. Um, last month, we announced that Deanna Flanagan, who's been the director for I guess this will be the completion of either year eight or nine in that role. A uh, longtime staff member will be transitioning to a different role within SCCA. Um, we've got some uh, some new projects that that she is perfectly suited for. She's ready for a little bit of a change. Um, she's been on on staff for uh, for over twenty years, um, so she's looking for it for a different role. Um, she's got some pretty big uh, shoes to fill. Um, but uh, but there's there's a lot of talent out there that uh, that can come and be a part of our team. Um, it's not just going to be a it's not a situation of um, you know the incumbent is is leaving and and splitting and you know good luck uh, <laughs> to the next person uh, pat on the back and and um, we'll see how you do. Uh, she's going to be around to help with the transition through 2024. As we mentioned, there's no off season. Our um, at, at at staff. Uh, at the staff level, our season, our, our year is broken up into um, some different elements. You know, the, the preseason has a completely different set of things than midseason. Then, um, you know, then we get into runoffs uh, time frame. You know, runoffs is a year-long project, but we really get into it um, as the Super Tour winds down, and then focus on that, and then. And then winding that down and getting into budgeting season and scheduling for the following year. Um, so there's, there's just a lot of different things that happen and um, she'll be around to support um, the, uh, her, her successor uh, as we get through those different, different times of the year. So uh, it's a great team to work for uh, anybody that's met the Scots um, S1 and S2, Scott Schmidt, <laughs> Scott Dobler, um, Deanna's here, obviously, um, you know, very, very, uh, very tight knit team. Good place to work. So, uh, uh, I think that's probably enough of a plug. But if you're interested, uh, check out scca.com under the career opportunities. Um, but uh, we're looking for for another excellent member of our team. And and it is Topeka based. It is Topeka based. That's where the team is, um, and that's uh, so that's where the the job is going to be based. Got it. Got it. Well, we will miss. Uh, having Deanna with us on on many race weekends when she transitions to that uh, level, but maybe now you know taking on a bigger role that will force her to be a guest on the podcast because she has managed to dodge me so far, and uh, uh, we will we will get her on one of these days. Um, just a vast amount of knowledge, and, and I think 
I think per, it's possible, Brian, that her hope is that because she's been able to dodge you for these last few years, yep. that she's going to move to more of a behind the scenes role. Yep. Um, so she won't she won't continuously get invited to come on. Yeah, not <laughs> not not going to happen. Not going to happen. We're, we'll keep we'll we'll keep working on it. So uh, I guess last thing on our list to chat about is um, uh, the Super Tour announcers, me being one of them are looking for as many ways to tell the stories of the Super Tour as possible. And um, on race weekends, because we're sequestered into the commentary box and uh, don't get a chance to get out amongst the, 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 the folks very often, sometimes it's hard to get that. So uh, we're going to come up with some different ways this year to communicate with the drivers and the teams uh, so they can tell us all their information. And uh, one of the other things, Eric, we talked about, and we've actually started already for Sebring, um, we're going to try to find a local volunteer to kind of work with us on race week weekends because you know the local folks know their track and their drivers better than we do so uh they're going to kind of be our eyes and ears on the ground to get those stories and relay them to us so uh that's an exciting uh upgrade that we're going to do for next year um and uh it's nice that uh it's been great that you guys have been help helpful and supportive of that uh, process throughout all of our first year of doing the live streams yeah i think uh I think everybody was was really pleased with with what we were able to accomplish in year one with Drivers Eye and with and with you and Greg and the team um, putting those things together. So yeah, let's uh, let's take it to the next level. Let's get more good information out there. Let's tell everybody's story as as best we can on every weekend, and um, let's expand expand the audience of the Hoosier Super Tour, which is you know has some really tremendous racing, some of the best racing of any series pro amateur uh in the country yeah and it's actually was really surprising to me even at this point um how there's there some people who really still don't know that we're doing the live streams so that's gonna be one of my goals this year is to get the word out more and to get drivers and teams to share the links uh with their family and friends on social media and um, um, the chat, we try to engage with the chat every race weekend. And uh, I call the folks in the chat my associate producers because they're always feeding me little information and tidbits, um, which is pretty fun. And uh, what's also interesting to me, uh, Eric, is that when we were looking at the chat throughout the season, how many people who were engaging with the live stream, A, from other countries, and B, who who had said that they are were brand new, had stumbled upon the SCCA race fans of other series, and were really enjoying watching the races that we were doing and asking questions about how the SCCA was. Uh, so we were able to reach a lot of folks who might not have been familiar with with what we do. Yeah, you know, I think that when we look at what we do, and it's amateur racing, we're doing it for fun. Um, and you know you hear the the secret word yes sometimes i was, I was avoiding that <laughs> and, and 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 you know the reality is um we don't have a massive advertising and marketing budget to push um for for lots and lots of people to join and watch the stream it right. is um you know we're doing the we we do the best we can with the resources that we have i'm still really really I won't say amazed because I've heard it for so long now, but I'm so pleased to find people that are racing in the SCCA, participating in the SCCA, 
that found it through broadcasts of things like the runoffs. Mm -hmm. And I think our goal here is, is, you know, instead of having the runoffs be over three days, you know, three days out of 365 to, to have it over these 10 weekends and have more opportunities to drive people to see what we're doing out here. And just that, you know, people are having such a great time coming out and, and yes, it's about competition, but it's about getting out on the racetrack and, and enjoying your car and your, your competitors and, and everybody else that's at the racetrack. Um, and it really does drive people to the club and to participation. And the cool thing is, you know, when we talk to people at the runoffs and they, and they tell us how they got involved and say, yeah, I, I, I saw the runoffs live stream and that's how they got here. Um, so that's, that I think is, has got to be the goal for us is, is ultimately it's not just, um, giving people a link so that their friends can watch. I mean, that's, that's how it starts. Um, but then getting more eyeballs and, and, you know, fine tuning the, the, the product that you guys all put together, which was really outstanding this year. Uh, but making it so that people who aren't members or friends of somebody who's racing can come in and see, um, see what we're doing. And I see that it, my camera seems to be glitching out on me. I don't mm. know if you're seeing that as well. Yeah, we're, 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 we're getting close to the end. So I was like, let's see if it holds <laughs> out till we get to the last, to the last bit here. Um, anything that we haven't talked about that we should before we let you go? No, just, uh, looking forward to, to getting 2024 underway. Um, we've got a lot of, of exciting things, coming in, in in the new season the the, two, the new venues obviously we're, we're going to road america for the runoffs um that'll be the 60th anniversary runoff so we're excited about that we're, we're planning some some things around that event that are 60th related um so yeah just uh let's let's get going you know the snow flew here um this week this past week but um you know we're getting ready we're we're loading stuff up and getting the inventory and everything and how many more days 44. 44 is that what you said 44 yeah we'll be there before we know it and uh no sun here in pa or no snow in pasadena by the way just just thought i'd share that fair enough <laughs> eric pearl vice president of road racing secca thank you for being with us thanks for having me brian always a pleasure all right, that's going to do it for another episode of Inside the SCCA. If you like what you're hearing and watching, uh, subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network and the Racing Network on YouTube uh, so you won't miss any episodes. Leave a comment, especially if it's a good one. You can follow us on social media to find out who our next guest is. That is at RacingWireNet on the Twitter. Uh, this is uh, There is a new Inside the SCCA every Wednesday night live on YouTube, and then the replay on the podcast network comes on Fridays. I'm Brian Belansky. Have yourself a fantastic weekend. Stay safe and go play with cars.